episode 97 of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Dexcom and Omnipod. You can go to omnipod.com forward slash juicebox or dexcom.com forward slash juicebox to find out more. I'm going to have to record the opening of the show with Basil snoring in the background. I apologize about that. This episode is called, let's see, Finally a Danish That Helps You to Lose Weight. That's what it's called. Because this episode is with Crystal from the Fit Blog, and Crystal is Danish. Um, so it's not a very deep play on words. But anyway, this episode starts really sort of interestingly because as Crystal and I get on the phone, Arden has an issue at school that has her blood sugar dropping, and I'm a little distracted in the very beginning. So you might feel like this episode starts a little slow, but trust me, it picks up steam and goes really quickly. Um, you know, Crystal's on to talk about fitness and type 1 diabetes, but in fine fashion, and as you may be um, accustomed to after listening to the podcast for so long, I quickly derail the conversation and we just talk about diabetes and her diabetes and diabetes and diabetes, and really I never let her say too much about what she came on for. For, for that, I apologize to Crystal, but you can always check out her blog, which she's going to plug in a little bit. Anyway, nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Basil's snoring in the background, so this seems like a good time to start the music. Hey, how are you? I am well, thank you. How you doing? Um, I'm doing okay. I'm sorry. I'm in the middle of uh, Arden's school decided to have a fire drill after we pre bolused for lunch, which, oh. which was, I thought, delightful of them. And so <laughs> I'm just double checking that she's eating right now by text message because she is, in fact, 84-2 down. Okay. And, and Do you want to postpone like half an hour? No, please. Hold on. It's fine. I'm sure she's been eating for about 15 minutes now. I just need to be kind of sure. And getting her to answer a text message while she's eating with her friends is not not easy. She's probably busy being the life of the party somewhere. Um, as I'm texting, How old is she? Is she? She's, she's 12. 12, yeah. Yeah. Fair so, enough. Well, she should be able to both eat, text message, and watch television at the same time, right? You might think, but... I, I think there's moments when she just, you know, it's funny. I, I sit and I watch her with her phone and nothing gets past her. She's a, she's a ninja with a damn thing, you, you know? And then, and then I go to text her and all of a sudden she doesn't understand how it works anymore. Do you get a hold of her? Yeah, we're, we're just starting to talk right now. Yeah. I guess that's the beauty and the... Well, I guess it's just the beauty of technology that you now know how her sugars are trending, even though you're not in the same. I would I would have to say that without text messaging and the Dexcom share, mm-hmm. I don't keep Arden's and uh, her A1C anywhere near where it is. So, um, gotcha. And it's um, we just went a couple weeks ago. It was five seven a couple weeks ago. Ooh, wow! So she's five seven mm-hmm. last time. She was five nine the tw- twice before. I think she's only been over six once in the last year and over 6.2 once in the last three years. Oh. So. You know, that's the thing. My endo doesn't like me to, well, she doesn't get to decide anything, but uh, <laughs> she doesn't like me to be over six, uh, under six. Do you think that's because I've been having a lot of conversations with people? By the way, now the podcast seems to have started while I'm texting Arden about her blood sugar. But do you think that, um, do you think that's because? <laughs> They don't understand how well the technology works, and they imagine that your standard deviation must be way off if you're achieving an under 6A1C. Well, first, um, my endo is one of the 
in my opinion, the one of the best in the country. So I have Dr. Ann Peters out of Los Angeles. Okay. Um, so she definitely knows the technology. I have only just started to wear the Dexcom, so I got it three weeks ago because I decided I wanted Dexcom, so I called them and ordered one. Um, that's kind of what I mean about my endo doesn't really decide what I do. I right. do, and she usually she's usually lying. Um, but so I think she hadn't she didn't know what my averages were. She was just seeing a low A1C and not having all the pieces of information, she probably assumed, well, not, she did assume that I had too many lows. Okay. Right? Which is not, not good either, and I get that. Uh, but now I can show her the Dexcom going like, okay, you can see I actually don't have that many lows. Um, and you can just see I have a nice sort of flatter um, curve. But that is also due to the Dexcom, I'm sure of it. You think the curve itself is because you can see it now and you're able to sort of manipulate things a little easier? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so, it, too. It's brilliant. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I just, you know, genuinely don't know how I would do what we're doing without it. I, I've tried without it. It, it doesn't work. So, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, I, I just think it's it's one of those things that, you know, if everything was equal and right in the world, you would just leave the hospital with it. Somebody would just say to you, hey, it's a shame you have type 1 diabetes now. Here's this thing you're going to wear. And, uh, you know, become used to it because this is this is really the best thing we have to offer you at the moment. So I agree. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the one of the sort of mantras I have is that, you know, there's nothing you can't do with diabetes if you have access to the right care. Right. And the right information, the right mindset. So that's kind of my three pillars. But, you know, it's it's one of those things. Just having access to, and you know this, but having access to what's actually going on and having the data so that you can actually react based on data is just, I mean, it, it makes a world of difference. Yeah. It really does. Yeah, yeah. I am almost done with her, by the way. And it's a good okay. thing I'm texting her, too. Not eating. No, it's the school. They they just as soon as it happened, as soon as it happened, she texted me and she said, "Hey, there's something going on in the school. There's a fire truck here. I think it's a, a, a you know a fire drill. Mm. We're outside now." I bolused her. The uh, we we decided on a nine unit bolus for di for lunch, but we extended it, so we did fifty percent up front and fifty percent okay. over a half an hour. Um, and her blood sugar was 140 when we did it. So we do that 15 minutes before she eats. And, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, this is great because by the time she sits down to eat, you know, almost the entire thing will be in. And, you know, we'll, we'll probably, you know, I was kind of hoping to be around 110 diagonal down maybe by the time she started eating. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I get this text about, oh, we're outside. Um, and I was like, okay, well then, you know, go right to an adult and tell them you've already taken your insulin and you need to be eating in five minutes. Mm -hmm. And she was like, okay. And then there was a gap in time where I didn't hear from her. And I have to be honest, I just sort of assumed, uh, you know, that, that she had gotten to where she was going. And, and so about, but about, I'd say about 13, 14 minutes later, I texted and I said, Hey, where are you? And she said, we're going to lunch in one minute. Like she literally says one minute. And that was at 1146. So I was like, okay. I said, text me when you get there. And then as we were getting ready to talk to you and I, I was like, you know what? I haven't heard from her. So I started texting her at 5 after 12. Hey, are you there? Are you eating? And then at 12.07, she says, 
going. And I'm like, wait, what does that mean? So I'm like, hey, have you eaten? And she's like, I'm getting there right now. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You're, you're like 84, two down. Like it's over now. Like, like, you, you know? And so as she and I were texting a couple minutes ago, she said, well, I'm eating now. And I said, I don't think the food's not going to be fast enough now. So she had to waste a, a juice box and then eat, which now probably means, there and, you I, go. and now you hear she's low and now, mm-hmm. and now, which probably means that she's going to, She's now now she's gonna get high. Now the whole bolus is it's a disaster. Now is basically it's basically what happened. But my bigger concern is that now I sort of have to contact the school later because if she did go to an adult and say this to an adult and then they it drug on for another twenty or thirty minutes, then yeah, that, that okay. means that the people she's talking to fundamentally don't understand what she said to them, yeah. and you know, and then so then that's the that's the conversation. Good times, huh. really good times. <laughs> Um, yeah. so now that we're like eight minutes into it, why don't you go ahead and introduce <laughs> yourself and then we'll talk about stuff. <laughs> Your thing. Well, yeah. I feel like I already know you a little better, so it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Yeah, just, just tell me your name and like, you know, the name of your blog and, and stuff like that. And we'll, uh, we'll jump right in. Okay. Excellent. So my name is Crystal Orum. Um, funny name. It's a Danish name. I am Danish, but living in the U S and I am the founder and the face of the Fit Blog. So it's the Fit Blog, B-L-O-G, dot com. Mm-hmm. And on that site, I write about fitness and I write about diabetes. And it's all based on my own experience. I am type 1 diabetic and since 97. And sort of in my second career, I decided that fitness it was. And that then I started sort of my, well, my quest of teaching everybody who wants to listen um, on how to safely and effectively work out with with diabetes. Oh, cool. So, and, so you tell you, you so the, your main focus is just to tell people how they can because this question comes up all the time: how mm-hmm. to you know exercise or be active and hopefully keep your blood sugar more stable. Is that correct? Exactly. I mean, I have quite a few people who write me or text me or contact me other way and saying like, okay, I can't, I cannot work out due to my diabetes. And I'm like, well, first of all, that's a real shame that you think that you can't work out because what I believe is that if you know how your body reacts to different kinds of exercise and if you have the right kind of knowledge and the right technology again, mm-hmm. um, you actually can exercise safely with diabetes and safely then I'm talking about you know reducing the amount of lows and highs and sort of trying to hit that nice middle ground and it's also about also teaching you know how do you start exercising and how do you keep on exercising without having to drink like three juice boxes and eat 15 granola bars to just keep you going. So it's kind of sort of some of those things that that I dig into. So what do you think the core of that idea is is it is it just the understanding of I, I really come to feel like the understanding of uh, the timing of how insulin works is maybe one of the most important things with, with managing your blood sugars and keeping them sort of where you where you're hoping to keep them. And and I think, you know, my daughter's a, a rather active person. And so I found the same thing there. And, you know, while you hear some people say, you know, I set a, a decreased temp basal an hour before I exercise and through, you know, th- those sorts of things. Um, 
it all just in the end seems to me like insulin and understanding it. But but what do you end up telling people? Oh, I'm I'm completely with you. Okay. And it's it's interesting because I think a lot of people. Um, well, the thing is, when you're diagnosed, right? So if you're diagnosed as a child, your parents sort of get the education. Even I was diagnosed at 19, so I was a young adult. But even you know when I was, let's say, if I was taught all these things about you know the details of how insulin works, I can't remember what went on back when I was 19. I was diagnosed, and there was so much other stuff going on. So. Basically, a lot of the things that I know today that I implement in regards to exercise and insulin management, mm-hmm. I have taught myself, and I've taught myself based on, let's say, take a lot of notes and a lot of tracking and sort of figuring out how much insulin do I need on board before I go into a certain kind of kind of exercise. Yeah, I've learned, you know, it's different amounts that I need in regards to if I'm doing resistance training versus a cardio versus a HIIT, which is high-intensity training. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, so it does come down to insulin, yes. And, and, do and you, what a, I was oh. going to say, do you also cover competition because of the adrenaline? Um, competition, so uh, you mean like um, in, in, in sports where you – like uh, team sports and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Do you ever talk yeah. about that? So, a little bit. So, basically, that kind of sports usually fall into the interval training category. Um, and basically, there, um, so it's not just based on what I found out with myself. It's also what's going on in the body. And there's been done some studies on type 1, very s- small populations. But basically, what they show is that the glucose production in the body, as well as the insulin um sensitivity, the improved ins- insulin sensitivity are not in line when you do interval training. So it's actually not really an adrenaline thing, but what's going on is that for the most part, these kids that are running around on a soccer field or a football field or whatever, they'll see their sugars go up after a session like that, despite having insulin on board and all that good stuff. And that's actually because of the glucose dump that your body does and it can't really keep up with the improved insulin sensitivity so that's again back to so that was a little technical sorry about that no no no, you're fine (laughs) you're fine because because what i would say is that that i i get what you're saying but i've also seen very specific situations where um arden can be involved in something competitive okay uh, you know, like a like a basketball game, for for example, or a softball game, or something like that. But the, if the score and they're keeping score, if the score is not close, or the people they're playing aren't offering, uh, um, it doesn't seem like they're going to lose. She can play that whole game without her blood sugar going up. But the minute the game gets contested, and she sort of has to kick it into a different gear, like she, mm-hmm. then her blood sugar shoots up immediately. Yeah. And that's just, or if it's important, even if you walk out on a field and say, Hey, this is a fun recreational game, but we're still keeping score. Her blood sugar stays stable. You tell her, Hey, mm-hmm. this is an all-star game. And if we win today, we go to the state championship game. And then I need to give her insulin. It's, yeah. it's very, and it's consistent for years. So that's why I was asking about it. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's right. I, yeah. But that's also, that's kind of the same mechanism that kicks into place. I think as if when you go into sort of your final exam, Mm-hmm of the year and your sugar, 
many people, including myself, have actually seen their sugars go up just because of the, you know, this is it. <laughs> and is that cortisol? Like, stre- is stress cortisol? Is and because I know pain, pain produces cortisol, right? And then that pushes up your blood sugar too. Well, I, I in regards to exercise, um, just based on the research I've I read so far, it's actually not cortisol. So, and it's not really the stress induced. Um, reaction that you get but that's from the exercise alone so when we then include something else which is the the tension or the excitement about being in a situation where you it's like the the game of the gear or Mm -hmm. as you say it's a state championship it's probably something else going on but this is me speculating Mm -hmm. i I don't have the scientific sort of well i got you no it's know how to back it so what's Um, the so what's the you know for some, I guess, I guess running, jogging is probably like a very <laughs> common activity for people. Something they they want to do, right? And yeah. and so, how do you talk to them about being able to go for a jog that is impactful on their health without you know their their physical health without them without it being impactful on their on their current blood sugars? How how do you talk about that? So it, it depends a little bit. So I also have personal um, training clients, or I call it online personal training clients, in the mm-hmm. sense that they are from all over the world, which is kind of cool. So we do a lot of it um, online and on the phone. So a typical conversation with somebody would be, first of all, when do you prefer to exercise? Do you prefer to exercise in the morning? Okay, that might actually be a benefit for somebody on insulin. Right. Because if you go out and go for a light jog first thing in the morning before eating, you will have the least amount of insulin on board compared to any other time in the day. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, there might be benefits to doing it early in the morning. Second is, okay, so let's say you do it in the afternoon. Then we need to talk about, okay, well, when do will you be eating prior to this activity? If you're eating three hours before, well, then you just bolus normally. Well, the closer you get to the event, we need to figure out how to reduce your amount of bolus so that you can do your activity, which is running, later on without experiencing a low. There we start talking about active insulin on board, and I haven't even gotten into the bolus yet, a basal yet. (laughs) It's just for bolus. And there, there are some general sort of rules of thumb, which is about, well, you can reduce it 30 to 50%, and that's where it comes in sort of, the trial and error that people have to do themselves. Right. Which is, which can be scary. So that's why I'm like, okay, test before, test during, test after. And we will find your, what I call your formula. So basically it's, it's finding out how much should we reduce your bolus prior to an activity in order for you to be able to do, let's say a 20 minutes run without experiencing a low blood sugar during the run and up to those 72 hours after. What um what do you find is 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 the window for once I've made a change to my basal rate it actually is affecting my body because I know there's far too many people think, you know, if I if I um you know, if I change my basal right now then, then it takes effect immediately, which obviously isn't true. It could it take I mean, I found between 30 minutes and an hour to start effect. Is that the window you see, or can it even be longer? It can be longer because, you know, most of the, the insulins we have right now, they have a duration of three to five hours. Uh, so usually we say four. I think that's also what's in most pumps. 
um, is put in as a duration of four hours. Okay. Um, so that basically means that some people who are super, super, super sensitive to insulin, well, they already have to start doing their, their basal decrease up to three or four hours prior to an activity. For some people, and that's an interesting part because that's why we're all a little different. It also depends on your fitness level. That it would also people- depend on, I'm sorry, it would also depend on which insulin you're using too, right? Because my daughter's insulin action time is set at two hours. It does not do anything to her after two hours. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And, but she uses an insulin that I don't think many, I don't think as many people use. So okay. I, do you find most people on Humalog or Novalog as they're fast yeah. acting? Right. And, yeah. and Arden uses a Pedra. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's a little different. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the other um, discussions as well as like which medication are you on? Because I also work with uh, with the people on premix, for example. So some type twos don't necessarily do MDI or pump; they do other treatments. So right. Of course, all that needs to be taken into consideration. Uh, I'm sorry, I cut you off though. You said you were starting to say that it also depends on your level of fitness. Yes. So in the sense that so, and that's what I found really cool is that when you start exercising your body becomes more efficient of using the insulin. So I think everybody can sort of agree that's a good thing. But that also means that you will need less insulin the better shape you're at. And as you continue to um, to improve, your insulin sensitivity is actually just going to be stay, – stays top-tuned. It, get, it gets more stable. It's better tuned. So if I'm if – I'm, mm-hmm. If I'm overweight by 40 pounds and as I lose weight, I very well may see the need for uh, less insulin and and not only that, but maybe less fluctuations in my blood sugar. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. The interesting part is, though, that when you get into like real good shape, so I compete once in a while in fitness competitions, and when I'm sort of in my peak, I'm in, let's say, extremely good shape. And that point, you actually, you kind of, you don't, continue to see a decrease in insulin need because I still need insulin. My pancreas doesn't work, right? Um, but it comes to a point where I need to keep challenging my body in order for my insulin sensitivity to stay tuned. It's actually, it's, it's fairly interesting. I mean, I see immediate reactions in my sugars depending on what I'm doing. So if I'm just strolling along doing the same thing, it'll... It might even decrease a little, or decrease a little bit the insulin sensitivity. Okay. While when I all of a sudden throw something new in there, my body would go like, "Holy, what are we doing?" And <laughs> my insulin sensitivity would be pumped up again. That music can mean only one thing. It is time to talk about the Omnipod and the Dexcom Continuous Glucose Monitor. Now, which one do I start with? Well, I think I'm just going to start with Dexcom. So as most of you may know, my daughter Arden uses the Dexcom G5 mobile continuous glucose monitoring system. It tracks her glucose levels throughout the day and night, notifying her of highs and lows so she can take action. But that's not really all it does. Dexcom also has a share feature so Arden can have up to five loved ones, like her mom and I, track her numbers in real time. No matter where Arden is or what she's doing, she always has backup. Now if that's the kind of peace of mind that seems like something that you'd like to know more about, 
I think you should go to www.dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Let's spell it out. D-E-X-C-O-M.com forward slash juice box. Or click on the link in your show notes. But keep in mind, CGM based treatment requires finger sticks for calibration. May result in hypoglycemia if calibration not performed or symptoms expectations do not match CGM readings. You can always contact Dexcom toll free at 877-339-2664 for detailed indications for use and safety information. So no matter when you're listening to this, I'm recording it on Valentine's Day, 2017. So let's, uh, let's send a love note to my favorite insulin pump ever, the Omnipod. Omnipod, roses are red, cannulas are white, your soft, silky shell helps me sleep all night. I just came up with that off the top of my head. Oh my God, that's so bad. All right, listen. If you want to, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sorry. If you want an insulin pump, or you want to switch from one insulin pump to another, you're tired of injections, you just want to see if you can get more control with a pump, any of those things come into your mind, I think you deserve, you know, you owe it to yourself really to check out the Omnipod before you make a final decision. It's really simple. You go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box, and there you can simply request a non-functioning demo pod, but it's a complete pod, so you can see how it would affix to your skin, how you would use it, Etc. Etc. You get a really good feeling for it before you go out on a limb and you say, "Hey, I'm going to try this insulin pump." Maybe you don't believe all the crazy things you hear me saying on this podcast, um, or you know what you're seeing online, or wherever you're looking into it. But you could always tell for yourself, right? So you, you know, you, it's real simple. You give them your name and your address and a couple things, and bang! Next thing you know, you've got the uh, sample here. I get emails all the time about people who reach out to get the sample demo pods. You should try it. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juice box. You're supporting the uh, podcast when you click on that link in your show notes or when you type it into your browser. And the same with that Dexcom uh, link I gave you a minute ago. You're always supporting the podcast when you're clicking there. But seriously, you know what? Send a love letter to yourself today. Try an Omnipod. I'm going to try one more time. Roses are red. Violets are blue. Omnipod, you make me feel so... I don't have a word that rhymes. Good. Good doesn't rhyme. You're not listening to the Juice Box podcast for poetry, so let's just forget this, okay? It was a bad idea. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juicebox, Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Try them today, I'm telling you. These devices are the key part of how I take care of Arden. What I do for the most part when I work with folks um, uh, with, with diabetes is that we develop a training plan, but we also talk about nutrition. And, and, and of course, if you... If your main source of nutrition is donuts, you will see more sugar fluctuations, of course. So, you know, a lot of people who want to get in a little bit better shape or who, like, chats with me about nutrition um, generally don't want to have a diet consisting of donuts. <laughs> they want something a little different, <laughs> well, right? Now, now, Crystal, let's be clear. We all want a diet <laughs> consisting mainly of donuts. But I, I take your point, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, actually, I find that if you're on a CGM, like we talked about, about a Dexcom, for example, or a, an Enlight or whatever product you're on, it's actually, it can be very frustrating to have a diet of glycemic carbs because you keep seeing those fluctuations. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't... I know if other people said that it is as well, but I really, when I look at that little screen, I don't like to see the fluctuations. Sure. 
No, absolutely. And, and, and at the same time, and I, I would say this to you, uh, you know, Arden, my daughter, you can only use my daughter as an example, but she has mm-hmm. a, a, she's a really probably the healthiest eater in our house. Like, you know, she is definitely the kid who like, while you're making dinner, will grab raw vegetables and eat them while you're, you know, while you're cooking and things like that. And she's uh, not a huge sweets person and stuff like that. But there's still times when, you know, I've been using as an example lately, a couple weeks ago, after a softball game, some very well-meaning parent brought like Dunkin' Donuts. And then we got home and like 35 minutes later, we were, we realized we were ill-prepared to make dinner and uh, my wife's like, we're going to need to order something. And Arden's like, I want Chinese food. So she had Dunkin' Donuts and Chinese food in like, you know, an hour and a half span. And and her blood sugar didn't get over 110. But that's because I used that data, those fluctuations that are really frustrating in the beginning. And instead of being frustrated by them, I looked at them and I said, okay, here's what we did. Here's how much insulin we used. Here's when we put it in. Here's what we ate. Here's what happened. What would I have... What would I have needed to do? Would it have been more insulin? Would it have been differently timed insulin? Would it have been spread out differently? Would it have been a temp basal? What would I have needed to do to stop this? And so then I take the bad, you know, the quote unquote bad experiences and mm-hmm. turn them into like actionable data instead of just being like, ah, oh, this is a disaster. I hate seeing this. I, I, I take it and I go, what do I learn from, what do I learn from this so this doesn't happen again? So that, you know, in the, you know, even though it's not what I would call even, you know, once a month, not even, uh, it, you know, when the, when life pops up donuts and Chinese food, like what do I do, you know, and how do yeah. I do it well without having a, a 400 blood sugar for five hours? So, um, I, I think there's, I, it's just a long way of saying that I think there's a ton of, of, um, good data that comes out of what looks like bad data. If you, if you treat it the right way, I guess, you know, that's said very well. I mean, I completely agree that. That's another thing that when I, I start to work with, the majority of the people I start working with is, let's get you set up for success. And that's all about what you're talking about, actually. It's about collecting data. I think a lot of people don't do the initial work. And it is work. It is work collecting all that data, setting it up in some sort of format where you can actually use it to, to your advantage in the future to your point, because Chinese foods and donuts is going to happen for most of us. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but it is really about setting yourself up and doing the work up front. So what I always say is, for example, in regards to exercise is get out your little notepad or download one of the logs from my page or whatever you want to do and start taking notes. Because in my experience, um, you probably, you, most likely you don't need more than like three days of data points to start seeing um, trends. And then you can start acting on those trends. Yeah. Assuming that you're self-managed. <laughs> That's kind of one of my big ifs always. It's assuming you're self-managed. And it's tough because at some point um, you, you have to really. You have to get to a, to a, a spot where you sort of trust your gut and able to make these adjustments for yourself because it's, it's just not, it's not a feasible way to live your life to have a problem today and be in a situation where you can't go to ask the person who's going to give you the answer for 90 days. And then once you get there, the answer they give you because they're not living your life and are only seeing very specific data 
um, that you're picking, by the way, you already don't know what to do. And now the data you're bringing them may not even be the actionable data they need. They make an adjustment. It doesn't work. It could take you six months to fix an issue if you do it through an endo. And, yeah. and I just think that I see that happen to a, a, a great many people. I also think that I see them, they take comfort out of the idea that, well, this is what the doctor told me, so it's okay. So they'll live for 90 days with an average blood sugar of 185 because, well, the doctor said it was okay, or the doctor said, we'll fix it next time. It's just, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. If you're, if your house, listen, if your house is a hundred degrees out inside, you find the thermostat and you turn it down. And if it gets too cold, you turn it back up a little bit. Really not that much different. And and so, you know, and, and Crystal, really, here's a great time to say that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making changes to your diabetes plan. But 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 nevertheless, you know, you can just nudge it around a little bit. You don't have to get wild. You don't go from a two, you know, a two unit bolus to a 20 unit bolus, but you might try two and a half units and see what happens. Mm-hmm. You, you know, and and all that is said is that some of these adjustments you don't even need good technology for. You know, yeah. you, you could make these things happen with a syringe and a, and, a, and a vial of insulin. So, I'm sorry. Oh, for sure. Well, I agree. And it's, I don't know. I, I don't know if, if, if people are being told up front that they need to come back in order to get their insulin adjusted or... I don't know. Maybe it's an over- way back when. I but don't it, know. I it, you might, you may thing. have been because it's an over. It's overwhelmingly prevalent that that doctors will tell you, "Look, we'll set this up like this, and then you keep your logs and come back, and then we'll make an adjustment." Or you, you know, you send me an email that they don't respond to for three or four or five or ten days, or you know, or whatever. In the end, it, what I what I see happens, and, and I know you talk to a lot of people with what you do, but and I do also, and what I what I hear from more people consistently is that once the doctor says something, they're afraid to do differently, even when every bit of their common sense and every bit of what's happening in front of them tells them they should be doing something else. And then you sort of fall into that authoritarian situation where the doctor said, so it makes sense. And then, you know, I don't know. It just, it seems to me it's all a little backwards. And, you know, I get in the beginning before you really know what you're doing, the doctor not sending you home and being like, you just go crazy and, you know, <laughs> see what you can do, you know, that I understand. But at the same time, you know, with diabetes, especially type one, it takes you very, a very short amount of time before you understand it better than your doctor, unless your doctor's living with it. And then now it's frustrating. You know, now you're the I don't know. Now, you, now you're the person bringing their car in to get fixed because it makes a noise and it won't make the damn noise in front of the mechanic. You, you, you know, and that's just not I a good. Way to I think. Yeah. Well, I think. I think you're right. It, it's an authority thing. It might also be back to what I talked about before: is that when you first get information, or when you get information in the doctor's office, it doesn't all stick. Uh, oh sure, or it doesn't make sense might, because you don't mm-hmm. have enough experience to even. The, the yeah. lingo is almost overwhelming, you know. Yeah, but I really do think that we as diabetics, our parents are diabetics, need to, well, we need to take charge and we need to be responsible for our own health in the sense that we can go other places, we go to authorities, we can go to other specialists and we can get input. But we need to be in charge because this, you know, this is a 24-7 thing. It's not going to go away. If I don't understand it, 
uh, how can I, yeah, how can I live a happy life with it? Right. Yeah. And so you have to push your fear aside. That's almost the first step, you know, is just to, um, first of all, not to expect bad things to happen, which I think is where a lot of decisions start getting, they go wrong from right in the beginning. Like, Oh, like you're talking about like, Oh, people saying I can't exercise. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you, if you went for one run and your blood sugar got low, that doesn't mean you can't exercise. That means what you're saying is things need to be adjusted a little bit. You're, you're with your insulin then, and then you'll be able to do it all you want. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing is how do you adjust? So a lot of the, and that might, again, come back to the doctors telling folks, well, you need to be on so-and-so amount of insulin because a lot of people adjust by eating more. Or more, my point is that, well, if you, okay, if you haven't planned it out and all of a sudden it's like spontaneous exercise, it can be hard to just, especially if you're not on pump, to reduce your amount of insulin. Sure. But the go-to adjustment, in my opinion, should always be adjust your insulin not necessarily eat more. Eating before exercise should be in order to fuel your exercise if needed. But if you're going for a 20-minute run, I mean, there's no need for a protein bar or a banana, whatever, unless it is, <laughs> again, to adjust it to low blood sugar. Right. Because, and are you saying because if I eat a banana and go for a 20-minute run, the banana might have more calories in it than I'm going to burn off with my run? Well, again, it depends on what you're trying to do. Right. Okay. So that's what I mean by fueling your workout. Okay. If you're going to go for a 20-minute sprint uh, drills and you that's what you're going to do and you, you need the fuel in order to do that, yes, pre-fuel. If you're going for a 20-minute run in order to burn calories because you want to do a little bit about your waistline, I mean, there's no need for that banana before. Right. So it's the intent of the workout and the intensity of it kind of yeah. together right okay yeah and my my rule of thumb is that well if you're doing sort of what i call steady state cardio so nothing too crazy for up to an hour there really is no need as such for for pre-fuel but that's my rule of thumb yeah. again it depends on who you are what you're doing and all that good stuff i would rather if it's for weight management, I'd rather that you decrease your insulin, go do your your run or your swim or whatever, and then go have a good meal after. Do, do you find um, when when people become type one, it, do you find that their their body makeup, as far as their health, their I guess their weight goes, do you find it changes for everybody, or does it not do? do do, do most people stay the same? Do some people lose weight? Do they gain weight? Is there no real, there's no real way to, to break it down into percentages? Does it happen differently for everybody? I haven't seen any stats on it. I have heard a lot of people claim that they gained weight when they, for example, started pump therapy. I have, however, also read studies saying that, well, intensified insulin management does not lead to weight gain if it's tapered correctly. So could it just easily be the idea that, oh, I have this pump now, it's easier for me to eat. Now suddenly I'm going to eat more food than I have in the past because it's it's new and different. That's kind of what the research indicates, yeah. uh, which can be a tough pill to swallow for, for a lot of people. Um, because basically what the research sort of indicates is that we 
when we start intensified um, insulin therapy, either on a pump or just increase our, our overall doses to get sort of a, a nicer A1C, um, we tend to feed the insulin. Okay. Feeding the insulin, probably know this term, basically means that we take too much insulin and then we eat to make up for it. Right. So that basically means more calories than we need, or it can mean more calories. So that has definitely been tied to <laughs> weight increase. That's eating too much. Uh, but that's sort of, that's for all populations, right? Yeah. That's yeah. For well, diabetics and it's sort of like you see that insulin pump, you're like, woohoo, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's give it a try. And at the same time, it's funny because the, the action that takes for that to happen, to eat, you know, eat to feed the insulin, if you... If you think about it just slightly differently, it's also a great way to keep yourself from having a mealtime spike as long as you don't overdo it. And, and instead of feeding the insulin, if you allow the insulin to sort of get a head start on your blood sugar before you start eating, then you're cut, you cut into the spike then that, that might come after food. And so it's funny how a tool uh, for good could also be a tool for bad. Um, it, it just I guess your intention is the difference, honestly. So... That's, I just, some people need to put on a little bit of weight, and for them it would be a good thing. So it's Crystal. I would I, love though have had a day in my life where I looked in the mirror and thought, "I just need to put on five pounds." <laughs> that would have been. I, I I don't know what that feels like. I also don't know what it feels like to be very tall. And I would also enjoy knowing that we're handsome. I would love to know what all these things feel like, Crystal. But uh, sadly, I'm never going to. Um, it's a hip hop song, isn't it? I wish it was a little bit taller. Is it really? I should have wrote it down sooner. I guess before I said. It. But yeah, I just, I you know, I've I've never had those problems. I've I've never once looked at my wife coming in the door and go, I wonder how I'm going to defend myself when she throws herself at me right now. And. Uh, <laughs> I've never had, never had that thought. So, but I know some people live that. I imagine Brad Pitt stands up to leave his house and thinks, when women begin to throw their 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 private parts directly at me, how will I stop them? And um, and I've never never considered that. So anyway, all right, okay. So, uh, so for, for the few people who want to put on weight, but there, but you know what? It's funny. We're joking, but we shouldn't be because. My daughter's a very lean person, and I can imagine her getting into a situation when she's older where she might need some. To, she might want to put on some weight, and and as hard as it could be for a person like myself to lose weight, it could also be very difficult for a, a smaller statured person to put on weight. I guess that's true, right? Oh, it's very true. Yeah. I have family members who are extremely lean, and then family members who are not, mm-hmm. um, and I see the struggle on both sides. I mean, for. For me personally, I am I'm very focused on muscles. So I am fascinated by muscles and I would love to put on a little more muscle weight. And that's actually also really, really hard because that's the same thing. You need to figure out how to eat right for that goal. And my goal is not necessarily put on fat, but put on muscle. So still weight, but in a in a different distribution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And regardless of what your goal is, it's always gonna be challenges. And the challenge and, of, I'm sorry, the challenge of putting on muscle is, does it intensify being type one or no? Um, is it the same struggle for everybody? I think it's the same struggle for everybody. I would say that there are even more benefits for a diabetic of having muscles than, well, not more benefits, but there are definitely a lot of benefits. It would help with the, the distribution. Have, right. It, well, it helps with sort of 
weight management as well, it also helps, again, with insulin sensitivity. The more muscle you have, the more efficient your body is. And I'm not talking about, like, being becoming She-Hulk or anything like that. No, just it's, an it's, efficiency you know, of – I mean, it, it, listen, it makes sense. I – it, it just does. It just what you're saying makes a hundred percent sense. Is we just don't talk about it that way. We always talk about it sort of the wrong way. Like I recall growing up with my my parents had a, a fr- friends, a couple, and the mother was a heavy kind of round, shorter lady, and her husband was very tall and thin and wiry, and she ate like a bird and he ate like a horse. You'd order a pizza, he'd eat a whole pizza. Everyone thought of him as healthy. He is dead now. Um, uh, he died 20 years ago from a heart attack. She, by the way, is still alive in her 70s. And so what we think of as health, we, we, we tend to think of it visually instead of the way mm-hmm. it really is, I guess. And, and that's a huge, you know, I'm not an overly sensitive person, Crystal, but that to me seems like a huge mistake to just look at someone and buy their visual you know, representation, think we know how healthy or not healthy they are. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you see a lot of very, very, that's hard to say, very skinny people, especially in sort of the media as such. And I mean, they're not necessarily healthy. They really aren't. But that's sort of the ideal that's being portrayed. And that's a real shame in my opinion. Because if you are, if you are a naturally lean person, then eating, Mm-hmm. Eating a, a, a solid meal for you, you stay lean. But if you have to, if you have to work to be that that picture of lean, like you're saying, like in a media situation, you might be restricting very important vitamins, nutrition, calories, and and so you're you you appear thin, but you could be rather unhealthy because of how you got to it. Yeah, and there's also the whole concept of skinny fat. I've never heard about that. But. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You're very loose. You're just small. Yeah, right. exactly. I, I, and that's actually, I'm whenever gonna, I start, oh, sorry. I, no, no, I just didn't hear you for a second, then I spoke over you by mistake. Go ahead, please. <laughs> okay. it's, it's one of those things, when you, when you, when I start working with, with, with people, type ones or not, uh, or like, non-type ones, um, the question is also always, what do you want to achieve? Do you just want to become a smaller version of yourself, or do you want to become a more, let's say, fit? version of yourself and it's not necessarily to the same thing right? right so i mean we can calorie restrict make calorie restrictions and we can put you on the treadmill all day long and you'll just become a smaller version of yourself or we can include a little bit of resistance training and proper nutrition and you might actually end up being the same weight or maybe even a little heavier but you will look more fit you'll be stronger fit. you'll yeah. you'll actually stronger. appear stronger the whole thing Okay, so 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 here's what I'm going to take from the first part of our conversation. Then I'm going to ask you. Um, I'm going to ask you a different question. So what I'm going to take from the first part of the conversation is that I am not fat. I am just well. I have a good nutrition. That's how I'm going to lie to myself when we, <laughs> when we leave this hour. But then what I'm going to ask you is, is if if when people, you know, what you just talked about there is, you know, you know what kind of effort you want to put in. Do you want to put in just being smart? Do you want to put in being stronger? I think let's like really get down to like the nuts and bolts of how people think, right? If I come to you and I'm 25 pounds overweight and I say, I'd like to be uh, leaner and I'd like to be fitter and I'd like to be healthier, I'd like to be stronger, Crystal, how long is that going to take me if I put in an honest effort? And I know it's different for everybody, but give me like a ballpark idea because 
I think that might be the the idea that I'm about to fight some hard fight to get a goal that's probably unattainable might be what stops a lot of people. So what are you really talking about? Like, when do I start seeing like fruits of labor, I guess? Well, you said depends on the person, but (laughs) um, let's get real here. So basically uh, the most often the people who do not succeed in reaching their goals are the ones who give up too fast. And that's exactly what you're talking about. So if you're eating a really, let's call it, unhealthy, unbalanced diet today, and you're 25 pounds overweight, you can see results as quickly as in a week or two. And what you will see the results of are your body responding to proper nutrition. You'll probably hold less water and your system will sort of start become happy again or well-balanced. As for regular weight loss, so fat loss, it might take you a month before you visually start seeing results. Okay. And that's what's discouraging to a lot of people. So even though they'll begin to feel better because of the visual component of it, they'll ignore feeling better and be disappointed by their visual appearance. Yeah, or step on the scale and not see and not get those, enough of a return. What two to three pounds weight loss a week that they were hoping for, right. which is, in my opinion, somewhat unrealistic unless you're morbidly obese. So the general rule of thumb is one to two pounds a week. What I have seen for people with type one or who are, or people who are on insulin is that it can take a little longer. Okay. And that, to get started that's because, or in total. Uh, to get started. To get started. Okay. So when the, everything is running smoothly, it's, it's the same weight loss rate call it, as a non-diabetic. But just because we have so many components that we need to sort of get in, in gear, we need to figure out the right amounts of insulin. We need to make sure that our sugars are fairly stable um, and all that good stuff. Make sure we don't have too much insulin on board all the time. Those variables can make it a little harder up front, in my experience. Do you do you find that once people find their level of fitness that it's easy to ma- easier to maintain? Like you know, I, I'm 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 drawing a parallel in my head between achieving sort of stable in range for me blood sugars and achieving a stable um, amount of health and stre- and and strength. Like they almost seem like the same thing to me because what what I do tell what I what I what I kind of preach over and over again here is this: is that if you can keep your your blood sugar at 180, then you can keep it at 120. And if you can keep it at 120, then you can keep it at 100. And it's actually easier to keep it at 100 after you learn how to get it there because there are less fluctuations. There's less spikes to fight with. There's less lows to fight with. And it's actually, this is going to sound, I hope it doesn't, but this could sound pompous. I put less effort into keeping my daughter's blood sugar where it is now than I did when I was, when it was 150 or 200 or, or whatever more often. And is health the same way? Like once you get it there, is it more of a, a an adjustment, like a bumping around of yourself or, or do you, do you, in, do you really need to work that hard forever to keep it there? Um, it depends on where there is. Um, if there is at a healthy weight, um, yes, it is easier to maintain. Uh, if there is at an unrealistic, unhealthy low weight, then you'd be fighting forever. 
because your body does not want to be in that state. Yeah, it wants to live. So it's trying to get you away from where you have. <laughs> exactly. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah. I do find, though, that, and it's interesting with the, I do find that the more stable your sugars are, the easier everything is in regards also to fitness. You'll get better workouts. You will get better results. You heal faster, which we all know when you have, like, stable, fairly low sugars, you heal faster, which is the same for um, recovery after exercise. You just, you recover faster. Right. Um, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, I had a conversation with a, a woman the other day, um, and what she told me was that, um, I'm not giving any names, so I'm sure she doesn't mind, saying that she's been type 1 for seven years, and after working with me for just a week, you know, implementing all the, the different tweaks and ideas I had for her is that she felt better. She was more stable than she'd been in all of those seven years, which I thought was pretty amazing. But that's also, again, back to what we start out talking about is that she might have been told all these tips and tricks, and she might not, seven years ago. But who remembers what the heck happened seven years ago, right? So now it's about implementing that. And even she was like, you know what? I think I'm ready to take my averages down. So back to your point, you know, she'd been stable at, I think it was 160, 180. And she was ready to take it down to, I think for her, 150, 130 might be the right level. You take it in increments, right? Yeah, yeah. And I also think of it as, and I, I kind of talk about it this way too, like I always try to get people to, squeeze the thresholds on their Dexcom CGM if they have one. Like, you know, don't put it at 200. You don't want to be told when you're 200. You want to be told when you're 140 on your way to 200. Mm -hmm. And also yeah. those lines very sort of subconsciously set up an expectation for you. And mm -hmm. if you expect to stay within the line, that's, that's the first time I realized I could do it, is I was keeping my daughter's blood sugar between the lines, no matter where the lines were. So I kept pushing the top line down and down and down. And I realized every time I changed my expectation, then I, I, I kept meeting it. You, you know, and it, it's like, it seems like an oversimplification, but it really is that idea of like, sort of, you get what you expect. You can tell your mind what you're going to do. And often you just, you end up doing those things. Um, hmm. And, and I think health is probably, and, and this is where I falter too, because I, I've lived my entire life with, you know, like a belly that I just feel like I can't get rid of because I've had it since I was a kid. And if I really thoughtfully looked back on my life, I'd probably realize we grew up pretty broke. We probably didn't eat very well. Um, I got a job when I was young, so I didn't do sports like other kids did. Uh, you know, there's probably, there's probably a very simple reason in there. And if I maybe adjusted my expectation for myself with my, with my fitness, Maybe mm -hmm. I would have the same result I got when I adjusted my expectation for my daughter's blood sugar. Now you're making me feel bad about myself, Crystal, which I'm <laughs> assuming is not the intent of this podcast. <laughs> not okay. No. All right. So. So let's switch that one around. Yeah, I don't know how <laughs> so you're going to do that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> because that's yeah. funny. I'm not an out of shape. Like I'm not a person who couldn't go be active right now. I'm not. You wouldn't look at me and say, "Wow, that guy's." heavy, you know, my, my legs and my arms and my back and, you know, my, those, those things are not, I just, this, I have a stomach that has just, and I don't drink by the way. I'm not a, not a drinker. I don't, I even eat so little 
that I sometimes imagine my body just feels like we've been abandoned on a desert island and it's trying to um, hold in body fat to keep me alive until a rescue party comes. Actually not way off. You're actually not way off with that analogy. Have I made fun into an actual point? Go ahead. All right. (laughs) Tell me about that, Crystal. The less energy you take in compared to how much you need, the more your body will fight to hold on to it. So, yeah. So, I mean, of course, if you eat nothing at one point, you will lose all the weight and vanish. Um, But, you know, under eating is actually also a real problem. Wow. You're telling me to go get a big sandwich at lunchtime. <laughs> I hear you. And, and now here's the other side of it, Crystal, and this is terrible too. I'm not a – this is embarrassing to say. I'm not really a food person. Like I don't see food and go, oh, my God. Like if you asked me what's your favorite dish, I'd be like something that's easy. You, you know, like, like I, don't, I don't get a whole lot of joy from food. And so thusly, I like cooking for other people, ironically, but I'll cook and then not eat. Or, you, you know, like it's um, – Sometimes I think if there was just a couple of things that I really looked forward to eating, it would be even easier to eat because it does not occur to me on a day-to-day basis to eat. You know, like I, I eat because I realize I'll die if I don't, not because I want to. And that's uh, yeah, you and I are in very different boat. Yeah, and the, I yeah. think about food all the time. Do you really? But um, I find that actually, in regards to weight management, and that being Taiwan or not, uh, so you can also use this. bit of advice i guess is you will get very very far by adjusting your nutrition in the sense that well rule of thumb and i think i made it up myself is i usually say about 80 percent is nutrition while the last 20 percent is exercise so exercise is i find extremely important for people with diabetes because it improves our insulin sensitivity and it optimizes the way our body uses the energy but kind of the same things go for would go for you you know you could still optimize your health by exercising but again yeah yeah yeah, that makes sense i hear what you're saying so what i'm going to do is i'm going to get rid of one of these dogs one of these kids Sell half. I'm gonna sell half of this house, and then. And why is housework not exercise? Because if it was, it I is. would be an Olympian. Now, it, it might, it must not be, uh, because I'm just running around here rubbing dirt off of things, cleaning <laughs> things, putting things in things that make things clean, and putting them somewhere else. It's a, it's a whole existence of this. Um, I tell you, vacuuming makes my blood sugar drop way more than, you know, going for. 5k run that's funny it makes my blood pressure go up and so (laughs) (laughs) laundry for me but yeah well no that's really cool um so and i did you know in the beginning you you sort of poked fun at your name being different and said you you're from where i'm danish you're from denmark you're from denmark okay so now my wife travels to europe on business fairly frequently she's been to denmark before she came home and she said that your people are abnormally tall and abnormally fit, and that maybe you already have an advantage. Is that possible? That you have, and I'm not making fun of you, I'm saying is it, possi- <laughs> is it possible that some people start in a deeper hole than other people just based off of um, the expectations of where they're from and how they eat and maybe bloodline and things like that? Because, I mean, it is fair to say, right, in Denmark, if I went to Denmark right now, the, the, uh, the way food's consumed, the types of foods that are consumed, and the amount of them when they're served as a dish are, are fairly different than here in America, right? It is different. Yeah. I mean, 
Growing up, so first of all, it's a tiny country. So I did not get a driver's license until I turned 28, and that was only because I was coming to U.S. for school. So that means I went everywhere I would go, I would go on my bicycle. Okay. So that's one thing, and that's for most days. I mean, there's bike paths all over the place, and it's extremely flat. So everybody goes on their bikes. So that means everybody's active. Not everybody. Most people are active pretty much every day. Uh, we do eat pretty healthy, although every time I go back, and I try to go back once a year, I will gain in a certain amount of weight because there's some really, really good bakeries. So I would say okay. it really depends on I see what you're saying. how you eat when you're back. But more fish though, right? Like you guys see a little more fish like mixed fish in your diet? Fish is not really. No. I mean, there is some fish. I think one of the main differences is a lot of people cook at home because it's insanely expensive to go out to eat. So just, you know, cooking things from scratch also. Well, that's just true because... Um, you know, and people listen to the podcast know I, I make, I have a bread machine. I make our own bread. That mm. bread has almost no impact on my daughter's blood sugar. Any bread that I buy in the grocery store, no matter how much it says, you know, low, no fructose corn syrup or whatever, no matter what I've ever found in, in the store, it drives her blood sugar up. But I can make just regular old sandwich white bread in a machine at home with basic ingredients. It doesn't affect her the same way. And yeah. it's just because it's basic ingredients. So I, let me go back because I, I think what I heard you say was that wealth and cars are making me fat. Is that right? <laughs> Pretty much. Okay. That's definitely cars. So if I, if I donate all my money to a charity and sell my car in the course of it, I should be thin in like six months. <laughs> as long as you don't just stay home, I guess. I, I would just, Chris, I would just sit in the house and cry about my car. That's all I would end up doing. <laughs> they came and took the house from me because I gave away my money probably. Well, and, thing. I mean, it doesn't really work. Now I live in Los Angeles. Okay. And so there's no walking to, there. Is it, It's correct to walk in Los Angeles. You are pariah. Is that correct? Well, it depends on where. So I'm in one of the beach cities in Santa Monica and here we actually do walk and I even have a bicycle and I do go like around. But I used to work in the valley uh, which doesn't mean anything to most people on this call most likely. But I mean, that would mean getting in the car and driving there was actually there was no way i could have biked even if i wanted to and even if you did though by the way biking there are places like you there are spots in california more so than in almost any other place i've ever been in the world if you walk people look at you like there's something wrong with you <laughs> yes but, yes it is, it is frowned upon to walk and, and so uh well, and, i mean there's also just some some parts of the city like if it's if it's dark i don't want to walk there okay because i would be mugged i understand i don't want that for being from denmark they would attack you. <laughs> but just being a person just, out in just, the dark. Just being a person out in the dark. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. You're funny. Um, I have to uh, send my daughter a, a text real quick here. I don't mean to stop listening to you. She, <laughs> sure. needs, she needs insulin. As I told you the yeah. in the beginning of the conversation, that the juice box she ended up having to have was going to throw off our lunchtime bolus. And it certainly has. Um but she's so not she's not dead, Crystal, so I'm calling well, her to win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. What's my experience? Uh, what's your experience? So I'm going to ask you questions now about uh, juice boxes versus glucose taps. Because I had read, read not, uh, I had read that juice boxes are actually not as efficient. They work much faster for my daughter. They, they hit her uh, harder, quicker. They stop drops faster um, and more efficiently. I've tried, uh, like Walgreens just put out these little, like, um, they look like lifesavers, 
but they they boast having 10 carbs per gummy in them. Oh. And I thought, oh, this is going to be great. And we've tried them about four times so far. And um, and and it, they just don't seem to touch her. <laughs> but but half of a juice box that's that's eight carbs, and I can stop like a you know a, a seventy straight down arrow in under like two cycles of the Dexcom, so ten minutes. Um, yeah, that it, that and but again, this is going to be person to person, right? But but for her, like it it just works much better that way. Well, I always recommend juice boxes or glucose tabs. Yeah, I don't really recommend candy because I think that's a slippery slope. Um, in the sense that people who are very into sweets or into, yeah, yeah, candy, yeah, <laughs> it can be, it can really be a slippery slope. Kind of like, oh, I'm low, or all of a sudden you end up being low a whole lot because you actually kind of want that sweet. Right. Well, I mean, listen, let, let's let's be honest. I mean. A lot of what we're talking about is not brain surgery. Candy's not good for you. Too much sugar is not going to be good for you. Uh, you know, eating four bagels a day is probably not going to work out in your favor. Uh, you know, when you make pasta, you might want some the size of your fist, not the size of your plate. Like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, there's some stuff that we, but what, what ends up happening is, is I think the way you're raised skews your ability to understand that. You, mm-hmm. you know, like, I know, I know people that have grown up in households where, you know, there's a you know enough potatoes on a plate to feed everyone there, but somebody eats them, and I'm like, okay, you put a Dexcom on a person who doesn't have diabetes, you're gonna see what that's gonna do to you. You, you, you know, like like it's just there's some foods, you, you know, it's just it's an oversimplification, but at the same time, it's an accurate way to talk about it. It's about portions. You don't eat too much. You can probably eat anything if you don't eat too much, mm-hmm. and you know, and if you don't do it every day. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I don't want to say blah, 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 but, like, I think we're all basically, I think there are very few people in the world who are smoking a cigarette going, I feel like this is fine. <laughs> you, you know, you, you, you know I, I don't see any downside to this whatsoever. I mean, there are very few people who don't understand it to that degree. And yeah. we know when we're eating something that's going to have a, an adverse effect on us, whether we have diabetes or not. I do. I'm sure you do. Uh, you mean, hell, I've gotten orange, like kicks like eating oranges. And there's a time where I'll be like, I had four oranges in the last two days. I even think that's too much. You, you, you know, like there's that's sugar, too. And I, I, I think in the end, and there are really good reasons why some people can't do it. But in the end, it's it's sort of I mean everything we talked about today. When I think about it on me, it it, it it's on me. I don't move around enough. I probably don't eat enough food. I snack instead of eating. And I'm sure if I made small adjustments, at hell, I'm sure if I just treated my body the way I treat my daughter's body, I'd probably lose mm-hmm. twenty pounds. You, you know. So, and then you put. But here's the thing, Crystal. You put the diabetes on top of it. And I and I am only human, just like everybody else. There are only so many things in a waking day that I feel like I can handle before I just want to go put my face in a pillow and give up for the day. And so, if I am a person living with diabetes and waking up with a blood sugar because I get I don't know a liver dump in the morning and it shoots my mm-hmm. blood sugar up in the middle of me trying to rush out the door for breakfast, and all of the things that are handy to grab in the morning when I'm running out the door are counterintuitive to my health and counterintuitive to my blood sugar. And then I spend the whole morning fighting that blood sugar back down and getting it right where I want it just in time for lunch to come. And then, you know, and then the process starts all over again. 
I get being beat up by that. Like I really genuinely do. You, and my point is that it doesn't have to be that way. Good. And that's it, what and so that's why people need to contact you because you can put them in a in a pattern that leads them away from the pattern I just described. Yes. I mean if if you feed your body the right kind of nourishment, the I don't want to say the right kind of carbs, but the right kind of carbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can you can have flat sugars and still eat. Right. And actually, I, it, it might seem counterintuitive, but I find that very few larger meals is exactly what's going to wreak havoc on your blood sugars. So what I do, and this is just a free rule of thumb for anybody who wants to listen, is I sprinkle out my carts throughout the day. And by doing that, I see really, really flat sugars. And it's not just for me, it's also for the people I work with. So I don't shy away from carbs. I just, I don't have like 100 grams of carbs in one sitting. Right. And so if there's a little bit of carbs in my system along with the insulin in there, and I spread those carbs out fairly equally, then the the result I should get should also be sort of spread out and and, and stable too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because you're not depleting a tank and then filling it back up and then fighting mm-hmm. to push it back down, then pushing it too far and pushing it back up and getting on that roller coaster and and getting caught in that fight. Okay. That's a nice way of saying it. Eh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm good at BSing. <laughs> so. Hey, not BS. It's true. No, I know. <laughs> I, I, I have the gift of gab. Maybe is the idea. But, but, um. You've just made a ton of sense, and I don't feel as bad about myself as I did 20 minutes ago, so I think you accomplished that, too. Good. Yeah. <laughs> or if you ever need coaching, you just let me know. Coaching. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, listen, I've been married for like 20 years, Crystal. <laughs> I got two little kids. One of them has diabetes. All I need is someone to stand behind me yelling, keep going, keep going. Hit <laughs> <laughs> you with a stick. Yeah, and yeah. hit me with a stick. That is pretty much, <laughs> yes. I need to be driven like a mule, I think is what I just said. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it's just really cool to talk about what we're talking about. And um, it, you know, it doesn't get spoken about enough. It, you know, it, it, you hear too many simple excuses. Oh, it's because of this. It's because of that. It's really because of all of the things that we talked about. But they don't have to be overwhelming to adjust. And, and my real takeaway from our talk, and we're pushing well over an hour now, but but my real takeaway, seriously, the thing I'm going to walk away thinking is, is that if I can just dedicate myself to the idea that in two weeks I could feel better and in a month I could start to look better uh, and just give myself those 30 days to see if that's true, I think that seems like a really good start. And and that's really kind of how, it made, how you made me feel today. So thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. So, yeah, set up a plan and see if it works. You got a plan. My plan is not to die. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good plan. Yeah. It's a good plan. Maybe now we can make it a little more specific and a little more get <laughs> A little more specific. Not die before the next Star Wars movie comes out. I mean, is that what you're talking about? Or do you mean a little more specific? Um my daughter is now arguing with me. She wants to go um after school with a friend to a park, which I said is fine. Except that this is basically the first week of school. And because in the first week of school, I see um, her blood sugars are a little higher and they're kind of more resistant than they are after the first week. And I think it's just the newness and the 
maybe the nervousness and stuff like that of being around a bunch of new people and in new classes and stuff like that. Once the first week goes away, it kind of gets, it, it, I go back to where we usually are. Um, but she wants to go out right after school uh, and it's just not going to work because for the last couple of days after school, she's needed a fairly significant snack. And I think it's because whatever anxiety, nervousness, blah, blah, whatever you want to call it, adrenaline during the day, as soon as she gets out of school and it's gone, all that insulin we were using to keep it at bay suddenly doesn't have anything to do. And so it's, you know, it hits her pretty hard and she is so persistent. (laughs) These text messages are making me, they're making me feel like the sex I had to make this baby was not worth it. (laughs) It's what I'm feeling right now. (laughs) Um, but anyway, I'm so- As she gets older, it's probably just going to get worse. <laughs> I mean, if my wife's any indication, I hope she's not listening. I'm sure that's going to be true. <laughs> All right, I'm going to get divorced if we keep talking, Crystal. Let's stop, okay? Fair enough. All right. You were really great. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, thank you so thank much. You. Big thanks to Crystal for coming on the podcast. Don't forget to check out her blog. Links in the show notes to that. Huge thank you to Dexcom and Omnipod for sponsoring the episode and for helping me keep the podcast on, you know, not the air. It's a podcast, but iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all those places. Uh Uh-oh. What's this here? I'm getting a little notification from Arden right now. Looks like her blood sugar is trying to creep up above 130 after lunch. I don't like that at all. I'm looking right now. What am I going to do? Oh, we're going to bolus. All right, people, I got to go. I got to send a text message. I will see you next week, however. And don't forget, too, we're coming up on the 100th episode, which I'm going to just tell you now, it's going to be special. A very special episode of the Juicebox podcast will be coming up for episode 100. And what else? Hey, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. It helps the podcast and share it with a friend. That really is the biggest part. If it's helping you, if you're enjoying it, whatever, share it with somebody else who you think it might help, too. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.